So this morning we're starting our new series. So if, you, if you're nor, you know, 10 here at Desert Springs, we typically do expository preaching, which means we work our way through a book. Right now we're in the middle of the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3. We are going to finish it this spring. By the grace of God, we are going to finish it this spring. But you know, January is the time when more divorces in America are initiated than any other month. You know why? Makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, all the pressures of the holidays, the bills come due, the financial piece of it. So we always take a little time to do some, um, you know, talk about home, family, and we're going to talk about couples now. We're calling it power couples. The, you know, what are some of the, the muscles that you really need to stretch, you really need to, to engage? Today we're going to talk about intentionality. Next week we're going to talk about the power of vision, which I think is one of the most key pieces to having an awesome marriage is the power of vision. Then the next week we're going to talk about the power of oneness, what you can do when your lives are, are, are together as one. And then the last week, the power of grace. So we encourage you to come. But here's the thing. I, I, I realize that, um, you know, a lot of what I'm going to say, at least some of the things I'm going to say during this series, this morning, are going to run against what our culture is telling us, right? Uh, it, it's just not going to line up. Now, my argument would be that if you look at our culture in marriage, we're not doing so hot. We have more divorces. We have more single-parent households than we've ever had before. And I think our culture is actually part of the problem. So I want to take it from a biblical perspective. And again, we're, we're not doing expository. We're just kind of pulling from all over the Word of God some of the wisdom and narrowing it down to what I think are some of the most important pieces in this. But here's the thing, in our PC culture, if I disagree with you or you disagree with me, the idea is we become a hater. And I just want to be really clear, we're not doing that. We're going to be friends, right? When this is over, we can be friends. You want to disagree with me, that's fine. I I have no problem. You want to be wrong, it's okay. You know, we, we can be friends, it's not that big of a thing. But what I want to do is I want to look to the Word of God. In fact, I want to start, and this is really for the series more so than even this morning, but Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through actually uh, 8 is what we're going to read. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll turn there. It's a great little passage. If you grew up in the church, you're probably familiar with it. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment for your bones. I just believe the one who made marriage, who made these relationships, has got a better way of doing it than what our culture is telling us. And so, so those are some of the things that we're going to dig into. I also know the minute you announce that we're going to do a thing on marriage, all the single people say, well, why am I even here today, right? It doesn't apply to me. It does, right? In fact, we are going to start with you today. In fact, our very first point is talking about this. It's be intentional in choosing well. 
be intentional in choosing well. Because the truth is, if you make the right choice up front, it makes the whole marriage thing a whole lot easier. So what does the Word of God tell us about choosing the right person? There is one thing that over and above everything is number one. And you've got to understand this. The Bible is absolutely clear that your future mate must be a follower of Jesus. This is a non-negotiable. There is never a place of rationalization that, oh, well, you know, it really doesn't. No, this is that box that's got to be checked, number one. In fact, this ought to be, when you're in a dating relationship, the first thing you figure out. You say, Steve, where does it say it? It says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, honestly, this verse is not just talking about marriage. It's talking about business. It's talking about a lot of different things. But there is no place in life where you are bound together stronger than in marriage. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What has a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So number one, cannot you can't work work around this one. And sadly, um, people don't listen. You know, I've, I've been in full-time ministry now 30, know, close to 39 years. Some of the most sad moments in my ministry have been those times when a spouse has sat in my office, and I've got to be honest with you, I think 100%, maybe there was one, so let's say 98%, 100, 98%, 100% of them have been women who married an unsaved husband. Sometimes they came to faith after they married them, and they didn't come to faith. A lot of times they knew it going in. They knew what God's word said. They just chose to follow their heart. And here's the thing. They're in my heart office, and they're heartbroken. They're not heartbroken because they're heading to divorce. They're not. They're not heartbroken because somehow, um, you know, they have a bad marriage. Because they really don't. They're heartbroken because they understand, as they could never understand before, that this thing that is the most important piece of their life, which is knowing Jesus, they cannot share with the person they love the most. They will never have the oneness, that sense of a, a complete unity, and they're just heart, and there's just nothing they can do. And maybe you're here today, and may, maybe that's the situation you find yourself in. You're married to an unbeliever. We say, well, do I get divorced? No, the Bible speaks really clear. You don't get divorced. You're there. You live there. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says to the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. No, you're there, so live 1 Peter 3, live in front of them, pray God will draw them to themselves. You, you've got a, a tougher road to hoe, but stay in it. But if you're not married and you're still in that choosing process, then number one. So, you know, that kind of speaks to where do we go find, where do we find, go find potential spouses? If the number one thing is that they know Jesus might give you some wisdom about where you ought to be looking. 
Secondly, your future mate needs to hold the same values that you have. What are the things that are important to you? Like for you, is, is it important that you're respected? That people value you? Well, then when you're, you've you got to put this, this piece together. And so as you're dating someone, do they show respect to me? Do they treat me with respect? Because the truth is, if they don't do that while you're dating and getting to know them, they're not going to shift and change all of a sudden when they get married. I want somebody who loves Jesus and is in the spiritual things, all right? Are you always having to bring up the spiritual issues? Are you the one having to drag them along? Or is it something that's a part of them? They're not going to change. It's there. Purity is something that's important, okay? So are they pressuring you for sex before marriage? It's not going to change. Women in particular tend to like to be pursued. I think it kind of goes to how God made the male and female. And if he's not pursuing you, you're the one having to call. You're the one always having to go after him. That's not going to change. So figure out the things that are important to you, the values that are important to you. What's it going to look like to raise kids? What's it going to look like on how we're going to handle money? And have those discussions. Put it together. Amos puts it like this. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? We're going to talk about this next week a lot when we talk about the power of vision. But man, if you don't hold the same values, it's going to create issues. So let me maybe give you some practical safeguards you can set up in dating that I think will help four of them real quick. Number one, when you're starting to date someone, let people who know you, love you, let them in. Let them get to know that person. Let them be your eyes and ears. You know, the Bible says that there's a lot of wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And I know you're sitting there saying, but Steve, you don't know my family. They're crazy. <laughs> and I may go, well, I may not know your family, but I've seen those families. I get that. Well, don't you have anybody in your life that loves you who's not crazy? who understands who you are, who you can bring in and, and let them see and put eyes and ears to this, that you're not missing things. They're seeing the same thing that you are. Number two is you need to get to know their friends and family. Who are the people they gravitate to? Who are the people that they spend time with? They're going to be a lot like them. Are they people that are kind? Are they people that are gracious? Are they people that you need to get involved in? And I'll tell you, it ought to be a bit of a red flag if for some reason a relationship, you don't want to bring them into those people in your life or they're trying to keep you from those people in, your, in their life, something's going on. You better check it out. Number three, you got to explore the past. You know, this idea that the past is the past. And, I, you know, I love it. You, you, you watch the commercials. Uh, they will... Uh, uh, like for a mutual fund on television, and they always put the disclaimer, right? Past performance is not indicative of future performance, right? And you sit there and you really think about it and you go, well, if it's not, then what is, right? Wouldn't past performance probably lean to how you think it's going to operate in the future? And so when you, you sit down and you begin to explore the past, it doesn't mean they're perfect, doesn't mean you're perfect, but man, there's no surprises, we're out, it's all here. In fact, we have a, we have a relative that uh, married a guy 20 years ago, and once they got married, found out that all his, basically his adult life, he's had money problems. Guy goes through it like water. Guess what? 20 years of marriage. What do you think their number one problem's been? Could have 
probably fixed it before they were married. If he just owned it, kept it private. Man, the explorer pass. The third thing then is you got to explore common interest. What do we enjoy doing together? And I'm trying to think, how do I explain this? When it comes to love, opposites attract, right? You know, the, the reserved person finds that extrovert, and it's just, man, it's just like magic. And, or, or uh, you know, the person who's not athletic finds the real athletic one, and the person who's really athletic finds the real brain, and it's just so cute, and it's so wonderful. So you all, most, I think almost all of you know my story. I was married before, married to a wonderful young lady by the name of Pam. And, uh, and then the Lord took her home, and then God brought Tammy into my life. And 30 years ago, we, we were married, and God's been so good, so gracious to me. But because of that, I have spent a lot of time around people that have lost their mates. Good people, good you know, wonderful relationships, and they're just heartbroken. And, you know, they become a widower. To me, the worst word in the entire English language, widower. Isn't that an awful word? But the beauty is I've been able to kind of see the backside of it too. And I begin to notice, in fact, I mentioned it to Tammy probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, but it was just odd to me because a lot of times I even knew them in their relationship before, and now I know them in their new relationship and then I started looking at me, and the same thing was true, is that when people were in a good relationship, they lost their spouse and they remarried. They typically didn't marry someone just like their first spouse. They married someone more like them. Now, isn't that odd? But it made sense. Because, you know, this whole opposite of tracks is so cute until you try to live with it, Right? You know, and, and, and it's not that it's a bad, it's a wonderful relationship and you love, but there's just all this thing. And so, hey, if I'm going to fall in love with Gan, let's try to fall in love with somebody who sees the world more like I do. It has that common interest. And I'll tell you, Tammy is so much more like me. And we have so many more of these common interests that we do together. And so when you're dating, you want to find those, those pieces that you like to do together, those common interests. But whatever you do, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. You know, Tammy is, you know, when I met her, she was 27, 28 years old. This is something she's so passionate about. You know, she's a twin. Her twin's been married. Tin's having kids. When are you going to get married? When are you going to start having a family? You know, don't settle. Wait. I tell you, you are so much happier being a single, following Jesus, to being married to the wrong person. Be intentional. Be intentional in your dating. Secondly, you got to be intentional when you're married by prioritizing your marriage. And again, Bible's really clear that your re marriage relationship has got to be the number one priority of your life just behind your relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus is always number one, right? I figure we take that one for granted. I mean, you look at the top 10 list that God has, it's number one. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? That's you have no other gods before me. Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is number one, always number one. But next to that is you gotta love your spouse. 
It's your relationship with your spouse. We see that way back in the book of Genesis. Jesus says, for, or uh, God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. It's more important than a parent-child relationship. Will be joined to his wife. It's more important than a child-parent relationship. And they shall become one flesh. Folks, this has got to be number one. Now, in our culture, that's hard. In fact, let me go back to the singles for a moment. Let me tell you one of the things that our culture does. I just think screws this all up. Number one, our culture puts all the priority on the wedding and not the marriage. It's all about the day, you know, the day. And I'm not against weddings. Weddings are wonderful. I think they're important cultural things, family things. But listen, marriage is about till death do us part. And we get so focused on the day and all the money. And, and these poor guys, I'm so grateful I don't have to go through this. Because it's not only about that day, but it's how you ask her to that day. we got to go jump out of an airplane <laughs> so that at 15,000 feet I can show her a ring, you know, so we can put the pictures on Instagram, you know. And it's all about that. And she didn't know it was coming. i got to be honest with you, I'm not the most romantic guy in the world. I, I get that. But listen, when Tammy and I got married, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about our future. We've been talking about what does this look like? We've been going through these common interests. And how do we look at money? How do we look at child raising? She knew I was going to go talk to her dad. I mean, now, again, as romantic as I could be, we were at Red Lobster. (laughs) And we're sitting outside the one over by PV Mall. We're sitting outside waiting for our table. We're talking about my discussion with her dad that I got the blessing and this is good. And, we're, and then I thought, well, we better make it official. I got down on a knee. I did. And I asked her to marry me right there in front of Red Lobster. Now, I, <laughs> probably wouldn't have made a good Instagram picture. But I'd like to think, you know, we've given her 30 great years, well, 29 great years, one, you know. uh, But but we've had 30 wonderful years together because we put the focus more on the till death do us part than on the wedding day. And that's just so important. And then once you get married, you've got to understand this, being intentional about prioritizing your, your marriage. Man, it is like every day. For the rest of your life. Because life is going to try to pull it away. You know, when you're young, it's work. Because you, you want to get ahead. And so you work hard and your boss wants more and more and more. And if you're not careful, work becomes more important. And, and then you start having babies. And they're so cute and they're so wonderful. And you don't know they're there to sabotage your marriage. That little, I mean, the first thing they do is they take your sleep away. So now you got to deal in relationship without any sleep. It doesn't work very well. And then they got this whole divide and conquer. Let's see who the weak one is here, you know? And it's, it's an interesting thing. And, and then you get later on, the kids are getting older and you're making a little bit more money. You know what fights at it then is your hobbies, Man, we can go do this, we can go do that, and all of a sudden it's another thing that pulls us away from the priority being on our marriage. And then there's always the friends. The one at the time and the energy. And again, is there anything wrong with friends? Is there anything wrong with hobbies, kids? Of course not. It's priority. You've got to be intentional. 
It's, it's got to be the most important thing next to your relationship with Jesus. It's got to be your relationship with your spouse. And so if I could, you know, this is really what this whole series is about, but if I could boil it down to two simple things today, just to give you a little handle, the first thing I would give you is time. How do you intentionally prioritize your marriage? Time. And, and so, you know, today it's always what's well, got to be quality time, right? Well, yeah, it's got to be quality time. Be present when you're present. You know, if you're just together, you know, I mean, you all have seen it, right? You're in the restaurants, you look around, everybody's on their phone, right? Yeah. Be present when you're present. But the reality is it's got to be more than just quality time. It's got to be quantity of time. This is number one. Now, does that mean every day? No, there's seasons. There's seasons when life is busy. I got to be honest, there's seasons when, when, when ministry is busy. We know that. But those seasons can't become every season. There got to be a seasons where we, we get away. Uh, again, this is going to go against the grain. But, uh, you know, it breaks my heart. I meet couples all the time and you know, they got kids now that are in their teens and on down. Now, sometimes they ask, when's the last time just you and your spouse got away? Oh, we haven't since the birth. Why? Well, you know, we don't know who to trust and all this. And I'm going, man, it's dangerous. Because kids aren't number one. Your marriage got to be number one. You got to invest time in this. So time is important. Secondly, it's Energy. Energy. Do you know the number one complaint of people in, in a marriage is just simply, I feel like I'm taken for granted. I'm sure everybody who's married here has felt that at some point. You know, that I'm just part of, you know, I'm kind of the roommate right now. We're, we're into this. You got to get energy. And I thought, how do I illustrate this? And, you know, in our home right now, my, my daughter, my youngest is 24 years old. And she has that special somebody who is entering her life. And uh, we really like him. Uh, wonderful Christian young man, loves Jesus. Uh, in fact, I think he knows my heart and kind of how to win me. He came over the other night, was talking to me about getting to share his faith the other day. And that was cool. But it's so funny. She teaches school. For those of you who are a school teacher, you know this. Man, you come home after a day, you're, you're, you're spent, right? You're just given all the energy, and she'll come home, and she'll kind of take a nap. She'll lay down on, on, on the couch, and, you know, and she just kind of hangs around. She'll a lot of times get dressed, you know, just dressed down so she can be comfortable, right? And then there's some of those days I'll come home, and it's kind of, you know, not that far after she's gotten home from school, and then she comes out, and she looks like she should be on the the cover of Vogue magazine. How was school? Oh, it was tough. Well, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to see Chris. <laughs> Energy. You understand what I'm saying? It's so easy to begin to take for granted that other person. We give everything else in our life energy, but we don't give our spouse energy. The energy to, to do fun things, the energy to, to go and have that time together, the energy to give our best because we're tired, we're going home. That's our safe haven. Man, when we go home, that is our number one place of ministry. It's with our spouse. Energy. Third piece you got to be intentional by serving, by serving your spouse. So 
you got to understand, I'm not doing marriage counseling today, A, number one, because I'm not a marriage counselor. You could probably pick it up. I would be terrible. I'm pretty too much black and white. Um, secondly, marriage counseling is good. It's important if you, you struggle in your marriage because some of this stuff goes really deep. I get that. I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is give you some hope. But here's the reality. The number one, simplest, easiest thing that you can do today to improve your marriage is to serve your spouse. Simple. If you got a bad marriage, it'll make it a little better. If you got a good marriage, it will start moving it towards great. If you got a great marriage, it'll take you to exceptional. And that is serve your spouse. Figure out ways to, to touch and to love them. In fact, what I would tell you is you got to be intentional, though, when we talk about service, that you're meeting their need and not your own. Because if you're a man and your issue is, my wife doesn't take really good care of the home, it's always a mess, so ha, ah, I will serve her, I will clean the house, won't she feel good about me? The answer is no. She won't feel good about you because what you have done is you have just reminded her that you think she's a bad homekeeper. You have served you. You have not served her. And, and, and you ladies, your, your man's got that room that's always kind of a mess. Nothing's in his place and it just drives you crazy and he's just so happy to be in there. I'll clean his room. That's not going to do it for him. In fact, he's going to probably be angry because for the next six months he's not going to find anything. Because he knew it was right there in the middle of that pile behind the waste can. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding something that speaks to their heart. Do they need your undivided attention? Then turn off the TV, put the phone away, sit and look and talk. Do they need your time? Grab their hand and go take a walk with them. Go with them to what they do. How do they need to be served? What can you do? Do you know their love language? Do you know what it is that would speak to their heart? Now, i got to be honest. My wife is a meticulous house cleaner. I mean, she just likes a very clean house. Me, not so much. We do a lot of entertaining in our house. It is sometimes hard to keep it to the level she would like it. And then, what, a couple years ago now, my son moves back in with a dog that sheds. And, and there are those moments when I sense in her spirit that she's feeling overwhelmed. And you know what she's often overwhelmed with is her house is not to that point. Now, honestly, I'm not a good cleaner. I am an excellent floor guy, though. I was a janitor. I can do floors. And so I could say to her, hey, honey, I'll do the floor. You get through whatever you want to do here. And, and in two, three hours, she's feeling loved. Find that place. I'm going to mention one more thing. Some of you aren't going to like this. I'm sorry. I've been here 25 years. I'm just going to cash in a chip or two right now. But some of you, the way you could serve your, your spouse is by giving them interested, involved, I'm pursuing you sex. 
Now, the funny thing is, I was thinking about this this week, mentioning it, is that probably 15 years ago, in my mind and in my experience, I would have been primarily talking to women about your husbands. I will tell you in the last five to 10 years, it's probably 50-50. Some of you men, that's how you could serve your wife by loving her and pursuing her. One of the best things you could do. Now, let me give you a couple cautions. When you talk about serving your spouse, we're not talking here about enabling. There's a difference. So if if your spouse is an alcoholic and and the way that they want to be loved is, hey, honey, will you get me another beer? And they don't need another beer for you to serve them that way is not helping them. It's hurting them. So we're not talking about that. So we're not talking about enabling bad behavior. Secondly, if you're going to serve, and this is probably the key, you've got to serve without the anticipation that you're going to be served in return. This isn't about, oh, I'm going to go do this so that I get this. Because if you do it that way, number one, you're setting it up for failure. Because most likely, you're not going to get in return what you really wanted. Secondly, If you ever look that up in a dictionary, it's called manipulation. Manipulation is not healthy to any marriage. What I'm talking to you about is looking to our example, who is Jesus. Who intentionally loved us. Came and died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin. So that we could be forgiven. He saw the real need in our life. And now he pursues us even when we have have not treated him the best. When we have not pursued him in return. He is the example. And if you have not come to know Jesus, quite honestly, this is where this all begins. And for those of us that know him, he now becomes the example.